going to do things a little bit different today. It is a celebration Sunday. It also happens to be the weekend where uh, 32 of our ladies are away. So on a celebration Sunday, we always celebrate Lord's Supper, baby dedications, and normally baptisms. But um, trust me, no one was getting baptized on a week when 30 grandmas, moms, and older sisters were out of town. So we'll, we'll just uh, we'll focus today on the Lord's Supper. Um, how many of you have been, um, been to a traditional Hebrew Passover Seder? Traditional Hebrew. Ooh, quite a few. Many, many more than uh, first service. That doesn't make you more holy, though, just so you know. All right, how many of you have been involved in a Messianic Passover, like a Christian Passover service? Yeah, quite a few there, too. Um, how many of you know that there's a Passover service but really don't know too much about it, really don't have a lot of details? Yeah, and that's okay. It's not part of our tradition. We're, we're, we are not Jews. We're not um, of that lineage, at least um, most of us. So we don't necessarily uh, celebrate that. But, you know, two, two or three weeks ago, Nathan took us through Luke 22, and he showed us how Jesus fulfilled the Passover, and he instituted the Lord's Supper. He was part of the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. And that caused me to think a little bit, what... What exactly, you know, he says, Jesus says he earnestly desired to do this with them, which made me wonder, what what were the things that Jesus was seeing there? What's the Passover that Jesus was doing that made him desire to be with the the, uh, apostles and to teach them and ultimately to teach us about this? So what, what was his point in all this? So I thought it would be good for us to see the, um, the Passover Seder that Jesus saw, to look at that a little bit. So we're going to look at some of the Passover um, traditions, some of the the things that are there, and then um, see how they fit into the New Testament Lord's Supper, which is what we celebrate. And also maybe even um, as we kind of get along in in our message here today in our conversation about this, talk a little bit about what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper and, and what and how should we be doing it? So, um, again, you know, we, we want to start with looking off at the Passover that Jesus knew. It was full of rich symbolism. Um, the Passover, just real quick, the Passover is the story of, in Exodus of uh, Israel. They're slaves to Egypt. They're crying out to their God, you know, free us, free us. God rises up Moses, sends Moses in. Moses says, let my people go on behalf of God. Uh, Pharaoh says, I got a good thing going here. I'm not letting them go. Um, Ten plagues come from God. The first nine are exclusive to the Egyptian people, but the tenth is the one that really the Passover signifies. The tenth plague was the angel of death would come to the house of every person and take the life of the firstborn son unless they followed the instructions of God. So God provided a way for deliverance. His provision was, he said, I want you to, um, and there's some more details to it. I'm just giving you kind of the quick version, but um, he said, I want you to take a perfect lamb, take the firstborn male spotless or unblemished lamb. I want you to sacrifice it, which would have been right there in front of their house, and then sprinkle the blood on the doorposts of your house sprinkle the blood on the doorpost of your house. 
So there we see the cross made in blood. For those of you with a Catholic roots, you see that right away. But yeah, so, you know, even the symbolism starts even in, in the enactment of what happened right at the very beginning. Um, so, so the um, angel of death comes, takes the firstborn, most of the Egyptian, and a few Israelites, too, who failed to follow instruction. And, uh, and the exodus begins, and God delivers his people out. So again, it's, the Passover is the story of God's deliverance of his people out of slavery. In his sovereignty, God also uses the Passover to foreshadow and to tell us and to tell his people about his plan for the future. And, and in the Passover traditions and the Passover that, that Jesus knew, the things I'm going to talk about are all things that by, they, some of them had been added over time, but all of them were still used by God to foreshadow the coming salvation, the coming deliverance that God was going to provide. A miraculous uh, deliverance, no doubt, but miraculous in a completely different way. And that's talking about Jesus here. So in his sovereignty, God uses the Passover to also tell the story of an even more miraculous deliverance. The Passover Jesus knew was laid out by God. It was multi-sensory. Okay, they they were eating food. They were reciting, singing. Um, There was... um, a bunch of interaction, there's smells, there's things, you know, that they would um, breathe in. All of these different things were going on with this multisensory experience, very, um, you know, would be high-tech for their day. And, and so in that, God, you know, used all of these symbols to, to show them different things. Here's some of the interesting ones. The candles. The candle was lit, opening the ceremony by a woman. In a culture where women and children um, are second class, not necessarily the Israel culture, but just the culture of the world at that time, women were, were considered um, second class citizens, children, inconsequential, but that God would institute, a woman would light the candles. The symbolism there, God used a woman to bring the light of the world to us. So just things of that nature, children being involved, amazing. Um, the ceremonial washings that went on, they would have a bowl. And the um, first person to wash in the bowl would be, um, be recognized as the leader, would be the rabbi in a, formal, in a more formal setting or in a home, the father. Think about the bowl. Think about what the bowl, Jesus flips the whole cleansing ritual on it upside down. And the night that he is betrayed on the Passover night, Jesus walks over to the edge, to the edge of the room, takes off his outer garments. Don't panic, just symbolizing. <laughs> takes off his outer garments comes over and he washes the feet of the disciples. So here's the guy who's in charge, the rabbi. They all acknowledge him as the leader and he does the lowliest of all jobs. So we we see a great lesson in servanthood and in servant leadership there that Jesus, as he tells us elsewhere, that he he came to, um, to serve, not be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. But in the discourse with Peter in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, we clearly see him tell Peter, Jesus tell Peter, that if I don't wash you, God will have no part of you. So we also see here that Jesus says, you know, without me, without Jesus Christ, there can be no salvation. Without Jesus Christ, we cannot get to God. So again, all these different symbols, um, the different things. Um, there's, there's a hard-boiled egg. There's horseradish, salty water representing tears. Um, just a, really a, a plethora of different things. There's four cups that all symbolize something we'll talk about in a moment. There's the unleavened bread 
of the Exodus, of the Passover, um, all extremely meaningful things. So by the time Jesus celebrates the Passover, the Pesach, as they would say, many of these traditions had been there, and they had been added to God's um, initial or his original celebration. So um, the, the things that Jesus really focused on uh, in, in, uh, at that last Passover were the three main things that, that God had given once again, and it was the cup, the bread, and then the sacrifice. But he doesn't even spend a whole lot of time talking about the sacrificial lamb because he is the embodiment of it. Let me read from um, Mark. Uh, and, and again, all four Gospels um, tell us the story of the Passover, um, the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper. And this is Mark 14, 22, um, And I'll just read it. By the time you get there, I'll be done. So just listen as I read. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave the cup to them, and they drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Till I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Not again until then. So, um, Old Testament tells us that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So although Jesus doesn't spend much time at the Passover meal, he has spent his whole ministry telling them that he's John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus equates himself to the Lamb repeatedly. Um, We see it over and over again. So he doesn't spend much time with that. Instead, he focuses on the two things. Again, the bread and the cup. So let's talk about those things today. Um, first, he focuses attention on the unleavened bread or the matzah. It's traditional. This is from the ethnic section of our grocery store. Um, it's the same type of matzah bread they, they would have had then. Probably not square cut from a machine, but probably round from a stone. But it still looked the same. It would have been pierced. It would have been striped. And it would have had these toast marks on it because it's a toasted piece of bread, looking like a bruise. So, so the, the symbolism there is, is quite deep. When Yahweh delivered his people out of Israel, um, his people Israel out of Egypt, he instructed them to eat unleavened bread for the week before the Passover. He didn't want them taking the time for the, to let the bread rise, but rather to be ready to go on his command. When he said, let's go, he expected them to go. So they were eating this unleavened bread, again, or this, what we would say is a cracker, and, and they were doing that, and that's part of their Passover even to this day. But, but um, we see the bruising, we see the um, stripes, we see the piercing. Take a look when, when the uh, elements of, of Lord's Supper come around. Just take a look and, and remember that. But Isaiah teaches us this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 prophesied this. Peter quotes Isaiah, and both Jesus, um, both, both, um, both of them speak of Jesus' brutal whipping, his beating, and ultimately when he was pierced at that last moment on the cross. All foretelling of, of the Christ. Um, also, too, in the gospel, we see Jesus repetitively mention leaven. And when he does, he's almost always referring to it as sin or evil. So when we have this unleavened bread, we have a bread that God has said, you know, is without the sin of leaven. 
Here's Jesus saying uh, in Mark, he goes, he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Says something similar in Matthew. Then Paul says the same type of thing in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are indeed unleavened. Meaning those of us that are saved should be um, are, are um, positionally without sin because of Christ. Jesus also tells us he's the bread of life. The bread of life. So when Jesus holds up the bread and he says, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me, he holds up this bread and he says, I am without sin. This is my body. I am without sin. I am the spotless lamb. He declares that to them. Again, knowing, you know, knowing the background of these things helps us to understand better exactly what's going on. Same tr- is true of the cup. Um, so we see the cup then in the narrative, and uh, we've been talking about cups a lot around here at COBC um, amongst, um, amongst some of the leadership talking about cups. Last week, Nathan uh, talking about the cup of wrath being poured out. Um, they had the uh, four ceremonial cups that would be there. The first would be the Kiddush, meaning the sanctification cup. The next is the cup of plagues. The third is the redemptive, the redemption or the cup of blessing. This is the one that we see Jesus holding up. And then the fourth is the Hallel, or the praise or acceptance cup. Also, sometimes today, looking to the, um, it'll be raised up when it says, until we um, celebrate Passover again in Jerusalem. So it's a future cup. So we have, you know, the, the different cups and, of course, what they mean. So much, the symbolism is not in the cup so much as what's in it, which would be the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine symbolizing, of course, the blood of Christ. For the, for the Hebrew, it symbolizes the blood of the doorpost. For God's people today, for Christians today, we see it as the blood of Christ, which is poured out as a ransom for many. So the symbolism lies with what's in the cup, the wine or the fruit of the vine that represents the blood of Christ is poured out as a ransom for many. So the third cup or the cup of redemption or blessing is the one that we see during the supper. Jesus raises it at the last Passover and he says he won't be celebrating the Passover again until he celebrates it in heaven. In Revelation, he says he won't be celebrating it again until he celebrates it with us in heaven with him. That's what Revelation tells us. So he doesn't drink from the fourth cup that night. So just like the Father had given the Passover to his people as a reminder of his provision and his salvation from slavery, Jesus tells his disciples and us really the exact same thing, that he gave us the Lord's Supper so that we would remember him and his provision as well as that um, his uh, salvation, and that he's coming again. That he's coming again for us. So um, I, I think this is all happy stuff. This is all good stuff for us. These are all good things. Yet sometimes, somehow, when we take the Lord's Supper, we find ourselves in a more of a somber tone, more of a somber mood. And I think a lot of that um, comes from um, the way we read the Corinthians passage that we so often use. Remember, God calls the Passover a festival, It's a festive occasion. It's a party. The Lord's Supper. We celebrate. Celebrate, obviously, uh, indicating or implying, again, good times. This is is supposed to be up. The Reformers called the Lord's Supper a means of grace. What they're saying there is that God imparts his grace in a supernatural way upon us when um, when we sit down and we do the Lord's Supper with him. So no wonder the early church was celebrating the Lord's Supper every day. Acts tells us they were doing the Lord's Supper every day. That might be how the church of Corinth got into trouble 
doing the Lord's Supper every day. Because sometimes when we do something too repetitively or we do it too often, um, we find ourselves um, just not taking it for granted, not appreciating it at the level it should be. Kind of like that post-it note uh, on your uh, mirror, on your refrigerator at home. Yeah, it's only good for the first few days. Pretty soon you look right past it. Well, something like the Lord's Supper too, if we're not careful, if we're not cautious, if we're not mindful, we may find ourselves running into the same kind of a problem. So um, what I'd like to do um, is take a look at the uh, passage in 1 Corinthians where we, where we often um, refer when we're going there. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10, 16 first. So if you'd like to turn there with me, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Now I want to remind you too that, that this, is a, this is a passage that's a reprimanding instruction. For those of you that are parents, this will help you understand what what I'm trying to say here. When my kids are doing something wrong, I'm going to have a completely different tone with the instruction I give them than if I'm just giving them some instruction because I want them to do something a certain way. Does that make sense? So, you know, with, yep, I heard a kid say no. Okay, I get it. Um, What that means is when someone's in trouble, you're, okay, here's for you kids. When you're in trouble, your parents talk to you differently than they do when you're not in trouble. The church at Corinth is in trouble. They have been mixing in pagan rituals with the Lord's Supper. Paul has heard about this, and Paul is, um, Paul is livid. Paul is, is disappointed, but he's angry because they are, um, they are um, blaspheming the table, the Lord's Supper table. So um, let's take a look at the different things that happen when we, when we take the Lord's Supper together, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, something unique in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, take a look at 10, 16, and 17 with me. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, not a part, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, For we all partake of the one bread. The implication here, that we are one with the one who in himself is one. We are one with God. We are one with the triune God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we partake of the the Lord's Supper together in a right way, we, we become one with God. One, we're partakers together, the triune God. This fellowship is a special part of the believer's life that we share with Christ. Um, We also share in a special communion with one another when we do this, as we all are corporately doing this together. Doesn't mean that we can't enjoy Lord's Supper when we're not in a corporate gathering, but when we gather together in this way, something something happens in the spiritual realm that's, that's unique, that's amazing. I think that's why Paul is so insistent and so concerned with the Corinthian church because they're so divided and says, don't, you know, don't take the Lord's Supper if you're not right with your brothers and sisters because you defame the table of the Lord. So something unique that happens, um, we become one with God through this, a means of grace. Here's another thing. We're worshiping in the most holy place. When we become one with God this way, we are worshiping in the holy of holies. I'm not talking about this building, although it's nice, but I'm not talking about our building talking about the presence of God. We come together in the presence of God. Um, And when we do, that's a call to us to leave behind everything that is sinful, everything that holds us back from our relationship with Christ, 
everything that causes us to not want to be one with him, he says, leave it all at the foot of the cross. That's why the Lord's Supper is such a special time. It's a time for, for purification. Time for us to, to put aside these other things. Let's take a look at um, the passage of, uh, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And this is where, again, where we usually read when we do, do, when we do take uh, and celebrate Lord's Supper together. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 11. And this is 23 through 34. By the way, Paul is going to tell us initially that he didn't hear this from the other apostles, that he heard this Jesus when he was interacting with Jesus early on when he was first saved, that Jesus told him this directly. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do, and often as you drink it, do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I'll give direction when I come. So remember the point of the Passover and the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration of what God has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Um, Paul takes this tone, like I mentioned, because he's correcting some wrongs. But again, let's look at what Jesus told us. Jesus tells us that he wants us to do this in remembrance of him. So what happens during the Lord's Supper? One, 1 Corinthians 11.25 tells us that we preach the gospel to ourselves. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he's not saying, just remember, oh yeah, remember those were good times with Jesus. It's not what he's talking about. He's, He's saying, remember me, remember who I am. I'm God. I'm the spotless lamb. I'm a redeemer. I'm Savior. I'm your friend. I'm your brother. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he's done. He too, the deliverance, like the Passover and the Lord's Supper, the deliverance, the deliverance from the slavery of sin, and also what he's going to do. He's going to come again. He's going to come again for his people. Purification part of it. This is where we oftentimes find, you know, find ourselves and, and where we find the somberness often of the Lord's Supper that we, that we take. But again, I would, I would say that should be an element of it when we have all these other parts. Um, from verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now that's a choice that we have to make. Um, but if we choose to honestly evaluate our own spiritual condition, and that type of spiritual um, evaluation would result in um, repentance, a realization of our sin, repentance, which means not just stopping it, but making right what we have done wrong and turning from our sin 
and uh, ultimately then a desire for purification, then God tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, 1 John 1. So, um, you know, that the part of the purification is more than just bowing our heads and focusing on our sin. It needs to be a productive time of turning from our sin, repenting of it. But again, that's Jesus' main point was that we would remember him, that we would be celebrating who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do. But we can only rightfully do that when our hearts are right. We're not going to do that when we're, we're stuck in a place of, of where we're quagmired and still under the slavery of some habitual sin. Okay, so what happens if we just go through the motions? What if we just do kind of come in and go, yeah, this is what we do. And it's kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want people to think poorly of me, so I just do it anyway. But I have no heart for doing it. Look at what, what uh, Paul warns us, verses 29 through 31. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak. Many of you are ill. Some have even died. If we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So when we don't take serious what God takes serious, verse 32 says that we call down his discipline. Now, it's loving discipline, but it's discipline nonetheless. Um, It's his correction. He is going to make right what is wrong in the lives of his people. So, um, you know, there is a seriousness to that. But again, I want to emphasize that Christ's emphasis is the celebration. Um, We also proclaim the gospel. So we not only preach the gospel to ourselves, we proclaim the gospel to others. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper declares, it proclaims the cross of Christ, the work of Christ, and the glory of the gospel the glory of the gospel. And it should also fill us with anticipation for the return of our Lord and Savior, uh, a reminder that one day we're going to sit down at the banqueting table of the Lamb with Christ himself, with our bridegroom as the bride. I know for myself, this is probably where I, I, I find myself probably coming up the shortest, if, if anything, I don't look past today. I'm not looking forward to the return of my Savior. I'm not thinking in those terms. Yet he tells us that once, you know, not once a month, but as often as we do this, as as regularly as we do this, that that should be a big part of what we do, anticipating his return, that he's coming back for us again. And I, I know why I don't. I live a pretty good life. I have a pretty cush, soft life. Um, we live in a time, brothers and sisters, unlike the times of any, any other people outside of maybe the last 100 years or so. We live in a time where we, you know, we don't have to suffer, we don't have to go through much if we choose not to because our lives are pretty easy. As we age and our health diminishes, maybe we're a little more looking forward to, to Christ's return or our, re, or our reunion with him. But, but ultimately, for the most part, most of us you know, just don't think in those terms. We just don't spend a lot of time there. And... Uh, Yet he tells us specifically that this is an important part of the Lord's Supper, that we remember who he is, that we remember what he's done, and we remember what he's going to be doing for his people. It's a beautiful um, symbolism, beautiful um, remembrance, and I think it's loving and kind of Christ that he would tell us that. I think it's interesting. Jesus comes to earth. He's the fulfillment of Scripture, so he makes Scripture simple. When they ask him, what's the most important thing? What's the, what's the, you know, what's the uh, number one law? And Jesus says, love God, love others. 
You have the Passover. He sits down at the Passover. He collects in all the different things. He talks about them with his, his um, disciples. He goes through it, but at the end of it all, what does he leave for us? The cup and the bread. Makes it so simple for us. God only leaves us two things that he requires of his people in their salvation. Baptism Lord's, and Lord's Supper. That's it. So simple for us, yet you know, we, we find ourselves doing everything else, being busy with every other thing. In fact, we're guilty of it here, in our, even in our own fellowship of where we, we, we rush through the Lord's Supper and try to squeeze it in because, well, it's the last Sunday of the month and, and we just um, go through. And, and I don't think we're going through the motions, but I think we're not treating it with the reverence necessarily that God would have. So I would like to encourage you to encourage us to make this a bigger part of what we do. If we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, he doesn't say how often we have to do it. We don't have to do it once a month. Um, God has, uh, the Father has the Jews celebrating Passover once a year. So I would say for us that when we do the Lord's Supper, if you're doing it at home, if we're, when we're doing it here, let's move it to the level that God would have us. Let's, let's challenge ourselves to be more in tune with what he's given us here. And that's something that's a special time of remembrance, a special time of communing with him. I'm going to go ahead and turn off my timer before it goes off like it did in first service. That was very embarrassing. But what I, I just wanted to um, ask you this. You know, this is a festival. It's a celebration. It's a party. What does the Lord's Supper mean to you? Anyone, what does the Lord's Supper mean to you? Celebration. Outside, any other things? Say that? A new beginning, amen. It's a new beginning. It's, a, it's an opportunity for a fresh start. We can come to the Lord. We can um, renew our commitment to him as he says that he's, he renews his commitment to us. So we renew our commitment to one, or his commitment to us is flawless and without um, spot. But we have an opportunity to hear from him his commitment and then we can renew ours to him. So fresh beginning, what else? Reverence, a time of reverence. We're not a very reverent society anymore. It's a time of reverence that we would be in awe of, of the God that not only created us but saved us. What else? What's that? I'm sorry, over here? Remember, it's a time, yes, do this in remembrance of me, that we would remember the way God wants us to remember his son, that, that Jesus tells us to remember him. Emmett, what'd you say? Uh, okay. I'll tell you what, a time of thanksgiving, though it's a time of thankfulness, to thank God for what he's done. He's done something that we could never do for ourselves, brothers and sisters, something we could never do for ourselves. Save ourselves from from our own sinful state. We may try. We may think we can. God's very clear. We cannot. Any other things? Let me tell you what they mean to me. As I ask the men to gather so that we can celebrate together, if the ushers and the men that will be serving Lord's Supper today would, would go ahead and, uh, and prepare. This is what this festival, this celebration, this party, what the Lord's Supper means to me. And I had some time to think it through. So um, it's peace with God. It's peace with, I'm at peace with God. I was at war with him. I was an enemy. Now I'm at peace with him. I'm with peace with the God of the universe. I have joy in Christ. I spent, I spent my whole life chasing after happiness and the things of this world. And instead, now I have joy in Christ. I want to remember that, that I have joy in Christ. I have a hope for the future. My life was hopeless. It, it, it consisted of the next, uh, the next event that made me happy in my own terms. And nothing more than that. Freedom from fear. I no longer need to be afraid because 
my God has my best interest in mind. He tells me that he's working everything together. Even the stuff that seems hard. Even the stuff I don't like. He's working it all together for me. According to his perfect plan. I have security in adversity. Again, I don't have to worry. When things look like they're going sour, I don't need to worry. Because God's got it. He's got it. I have guidance when I'm not sure what to do. When I don't know what to do. When I'm lost, when I'm floundering. I can go to God. His Holy Spirit lives in us. The comforter and guide shows us the way. Um, I have victory in temptation. Probably the biggest one. I can have victory over sin. I can have victory over sin that I would never have in myself. But we can have that victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. Right, brothers, why don't you come forward and I'll join you down front here. Does this help any of you in terms of rethinking the Lord's Supper as far as the celebration of it all? That that this is something more. I'm not encouraging you to forget your sin or to ignore your sin. But what I'm encouraging you to do is to remember what Jesus asked us to remember. Who he is. What he's done. What he's going to do. All right. Let's enjoy this together. Let's Let's put on some music that's a little more upbeat. Not so somber. Remember to take a look. Look at that bread striped by his stripes were healed, pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. Jesus, today we remember you. Lord, may we remember you the way you want to be remembered, Lord, as the spotless lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world our Redeemer, our Savior, Creator, Friend. May we remember you for what you've done. You've saved us. You've made us brand new. You've bought us with the price, Lord. Paid a, paid a debt we can never pay. Lord, may we remember what you're going to do. You're coming back. You're building a house for us. You're building a place for us to stay. You're preparing the way and preparing the place so that we can spend eternity with you. And you've got somebody preparing an awesome meal too as we sit down with you, the bridegroom, as your bride. Amazing love, how could it be that you, our king, would do these things for us? The night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Thank you, almighty God. And he ate it and said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. We remember you. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no relationship with God because we would still be sinful. We'd be separated from him. We'd be sinfully separated from God. Lord, as we take a time to reflect on on what um, you've forgiven us from, Lord, um, stir our hearts, Lord, to know uh, what is unpleasing to you, Lord. Show us our sin if we don't see it. That we might repent of it, Lord. That we might turn from our sin and turn to you, Lord. That we would, not in an act of works righteousness, Lord, but in an act of obedience, we would make right the things that are wrong with others. And Lord, that we would uh, seek to please you with all we say and do. Thank you for your blood shed for us, sweet Jesus. Thank you. So in the tradition of the Passover, Jesus would have taken the cup. He would have held it up. 
and offered a blessing to God. Lord, thank you for what you do through the Lord's Supper, what you do through this um, this means of grace, through this act of, of love and kindness towards us. Um, Lord, we realize and, and accept the fact that this is nothing more than a symbol. Lord, yet I know that you can use it to warm our hearts and to speak to us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the blood that was shed. And in the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the drink. He drank from the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. So this is a party. This is a celebration. I know that it is our tradition as a church that we would take up a benevolence offering for for help uh, for those in our community. I'm going to ask those in the praise team to skip that and take the stage because we're going to do something different. Um, We're going to going to take up that benevolence offering, but our praise team is going to lead us in a song of celebration, so don't get caught up in doing that, brother. Get up there and grab your guitar. Celebrating today. Should see a lot of smiles. I don't have my glasses on, so maybe there are a lot of smiles, but there should be a lot of smiles out here today. This is a great day. It's a day that the Lord has made. We should be rejoicing and be glad in it. But likewise, we have just remembered the most miraculous thing that has ever happened. God came to earth. The creator became the creation. Took the sins of his creation upon himself and paid a price that we could never pay to redeem us to himself. If that's not cause for celebration, I do not know what is. All God's people, let's say hallelujah together. Let's say hallelujah together like the redeemed. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and celebrate in song. Lord, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have something to remember that's so spectacular. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people now as we go. Help us to remember you not just today, but each and every moment of each and every day for your glory and for your great name's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, go with God, people.